0: Welcome back to my interview with Bishop Greg Rickle. Here's part two. I love so much that you mentioned that because that was, in fact, the next question I had. Just as a little bit of background on that uh, question, a couple of nights ago, I was in a Zoom call with a number of the other young adults at St. Mark's uh, just to catch up and just to check in on each other. And one of the questions that came up was, where do we see God in this? Because you, you've you heard firsthand that people are scared of losing their homes, their jobs, and especially their, their family members and their loved ones. And that question was central to our discussion. How and where do we see God fitting into this? And people had very honest, raw responses. And I love that you said that, yeah, God is still there. He's not punishing us. He's not not, not looking over our shoulder and correcting us all the time. But in what we do to stay connected and in what we do to continue to worship, even from home, especially at home now, that's where God is. And still bringing us together, even through all this difficulty and the now the months of not having seen each other in our churches, the months of not having worshipped together, God is still there in an amazing way that we could probably never fully explain or even fully understand.
1: No, you know, I tell people uh, occasionally when we get into good deep conversations that that maybe they need to reassess their theology because you have to have a theology that works. Uh, on the brightest day of your life and a theology that works on your darkest day of your life and the worst day of your life Uh, and if you don't have that theology it's going to be difficult so uh i'll give you another example i'm always stunned when people say for instance um well, like if after, after an election or after um, a decision at a convention or something, somebody will say uh, God's will was done, the Holy Spirit worked, um, which every time we say anything like that, what we're saying is uh, the Holy Spirit worked against the, the group that didn't win. <laughs> in other words, the Holy Spirit was in favor of one thing over the other and And I think that's a dangerous road to go down, because uh, you know if if God is a happy, go-lucky God when the sun's shining and there is no virus and the stock market's high, and but then suddenly, when all that falls apart, you don't know where God is, that's not a theology worth keeping, I would say. <laughs> you know, I mean, you you need to have one that you know where God is, even if it's not going well. And, you know, that we're human, so we, we don't always know. But what I'm convinced of is whether we know or not, God is right buried in the middle of it. Um, I, I think it's that famous story from Night, uh, Eli Wazel, who, you know, the five-year-old that gets hung in the gallows. And his faithful are standing around him saying, where is God now? Where is God now? and Wiesel points to the five-year-old hanging on the gallows and says, God's right there. And that's, that's, uh, the way I see it. (laughs) That's God's right there. God is as close as our breath. Uh, God has not abandoned us, but shit happens. (laughs) And it just does. And that's, there is a random world, whether we like it or not. I, I, I believe in the random world, and I believe God's deeply embedded in that random world, loving us through everything that uh, might happen to us here.
0: I kind of like that random curiosity. Again, those conversations that just happen out of nowhere, or mm-hmm. where we can mm-hmm. still have amazing connections. In the most unlikeliest circumstances. And these are the most unlikeliest of circumstances. Not too many people yeah. woke up on January first, twenty twenty and thought in three months we'll be in quarantine. But we still right. somehow finding these moments. That's right. Speaking of moments, Easter as of this recording is just a few days away. This is a question we ask ourselves every year, I think. And I remember your sermon last year, uh, about what Easter meant.
1: No, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
0: But what does Easter mean at a time like this?
1: Uh, oh, I, I, you know, I was saying yesterday in the sermon to the clergy that this is exactly what Holy Week was meant for. I mean, really, uh, and I may be using this, I think, in, in some of my Easter message to, to the diocese. But if you think about it and you read the Gospels, <clears throat> the whole first Easter was like this. They were all hiding in their homes. they were terrified. I mean, uh, Jesus was gone. Uh, you know they even with all he had said he was going to do. they believed he was dead and gone. and they were under siege and scared of anybody who knocked on the door and uh, and that's when Easter happened. Easter happened just like it is right now. <laughs> you know Easter happened with people behind their doors, Christians saying, "Oh my God, we can't go outside." Uh, and that's when it came. That's when Jesus came back and said, no, you know, yeah, you're going to still suffer. You're still going to be uh, uh, punished and all, all kinds of people will try to oppress you. But you know what? Uh, death won't get you. Death has been, we, 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 I have given you the victory over death. And uh, I, so I don't see why it can't come. And I think this is the collision of the other questions you've been asking about how wedded we are to whether we're together, you know, that we get to, you know, wear white and hear the choir and do all that stuff. Is that the most important thing or is the most important thing that this is a a real thing that Jesus is real, that God is real that's the most important thing. And no virus is going to stop that. No governor order or Bishop's order is going to stop that. It's not going to be stopped. And that's uh, the beauty of this week. I think is that no matter what's happening, it's going to happen. And we're going to do it in whatever way we do it. And yes, our hallelujahs will be in uh, separate places on this Easter. But they will still be as resounding and loud and clear in heaven and with God, and you know we'll we're still going to say them. The universe is still going to hear them. Uh, we're just not going to be in all in one spot like we are sometimes. Uh, so to me, <clears throat> I think this is actually an excellent moment for us to decide what Christianity really means. Uh, because of what i said before you you need a theology that works on the best days and on the bad ones too you know it's got it's got to to me those need to be coherent you know they need to match
0: and really so much of the quarantine happened during lent when already we're thinking about how to be more mindful in our spiritual practices how to be more focused on our spiritual practices without distraction without temptation And to go through, excuse me, about three, four weeks without the pleasure of receiving the communion elements or of seeing our friends and loved ones at church was a a very trying spiritual experience. And now, even as we turn the page into Easter, that still continues, as you said, to really engage with what it meant to be uh, sequestered in a way, but still making our alleluias heard across quarantine that's huge
1: yeah I mean who knows what it will be like a year from now but I have to have a feeling that people a year from now are going to say they're going to hear the Lenten stories so differently because they know Lent now they they know what it is to be in exile they know what it is to be uh, separated in ways that uh, most people that are alive right now really don't know. We're going to know it. And sadly, I mean, we're not even finished yet with the loss we're going to experience and going to feel. Yeah. So that, yes, I mean, it's been the most real lint I think you could ever have uh, and probably never wish for. But I, the, the thing you said in that is uh, you use the word practice and I think that's the thing I would love for us to get back to that Christianity is a practiced faith. There are practices that we have that we do. And it's interesting. um, When this Lent started, I had no idea that one of my spiritual disciplines or the way I would pray is uh, to volunteer in my condo since I'm, uh, you know, basically, on lockdown with everybody else uh to volunteer my condo, something I rarely get to do. you know, people will say around here, "Well, why don't you do this or that? Well, I can't, I'm never here, you know, but I'm here now, so I have uh every night I go out and uh spray the uh, take care of this this floor I'm on, spraying down all the disinfectant and everything on all the surfaces. That has become a nightly ritual. I do it every single night. Uh, it's something I would have never gotten to do uh, if I was living a normal life right now. And it's actually become, for me, a Lenten practice of praying while I do that. So I go through it, but I say my prayers as I do it. It's almost become compliment for me is going around and doing this cleaning where I know that I'm actually giving and helping my fellow uh, residents because I'm helping them by keeping that clean and trying to keep them safe and me safe, but also praying. And so that practice had you, you know, sat me down before Ash Wednesday and said, Hey, what are you going to do for Lent? (laughs) None of this was even in our mind. We, We had none of this in our mind that this would be like this. And so the other thing is too, how we can, you know, Lent, doesn't have to be start to finish. Lent uh, becomes what it becomes, just like life becomes what it becomes by the circumstances we're handed. So, uh, you know, I don't even remember now what my Lenten uh, regimen was going to be, because it's changed now uh, by this. And I, at least for me personally, it's changed in a very good way. I I thought about this last night that I'll be glad when I don't have to do this anymore, but I also am going to miss it when I don't do it anymore. Like it's become a ritual. uh, And, and I feel like it's doing some good. It's a minor thing. It's a little thing, but but that's, that's what Christianity is supposed to be a a built in practice that we do and a rhythm that we follow. And uh, so in some ways this has given me that. So there have been some gifts in this land, too.
0: One last question on the quarantine, and then we'll move on to nicer topics. What do you see as the future for the Episcopal Church, both in terms of the churches that have been impacted by the quarantine, but then also the roles that those churches will have to play in the rebuilding when the quarantine passes?
1: Uh, Well, I think we're going to have a huge role uh, in the rebuilding uh and i think uh probably the rebuilding is going to start before we're even out of the calamity uh i mean hopefully some of that's starting now but i mean what we spent last week frantically you know uh, trying to get loan papers in for these federal loans and all of that and helping our congregations do that and, and there was a lot of moaning groaning about i can't believe they're doing this on holy week <laughs> of course Well, they didn't ask us, you know, and that's just the reality of life too. But uh, I I think what we found from that is how early we are in this. Uh, The idea of what rebuilding looks like is hard to tell because it's going to be, we don't know what it's going to be like. You know, we don't know what the damage, the full damage will be until we're through it to some degree. Hmm. But we, no matter what it is, uh, the church is going to be is definitely going to need to be. And I think we'll be called upon to be part of the rebuilding. And, uh, if nothing else, it would be to try to come back to the things that we know and to, uh, the rituals that we know, the worship that we do so that people can have that, um, comfort again. But what I really hope is that, um, we're all gonna go back to those spaces, having lived through this experience, uh, and I think have a totally different perspective about the world that goes on outside. Uh, Now, I hope that's true. I'm I'm very disheartened that it took this for us to pay attention to our homeless population I think it's great that what the state's kind of decided is to not put them up in parish halls or churches or on the floor somewhere, but to get them hotel rooms. (laughs) But now they're doing that because that'll help the hotels. And it also helps us by keeping the people isolated with their own bathroom and all that. It makes total sense. But we have to wonder why did it take this for us to pay attention to them and to do what we should have done a long time ago. (laughs) And if the only reason is now they're a threat to us because they can carry the virus and spread it. That's a terrible, that's a terrible, uh, commentary (laughs) on our society, our government. And I think we're going to have to say on our church that, you know, um, it shouldn't have gotten important just because of this. It should have been important before. And uh, I'm hoping that the rebuilding we can do is to remind, to point that out, to live that out, and to come back to the church and say, um, let's be that. You know, we did get some good things out of that. And one of them was we need to help everybody, (laughs) you know, Had the homeless not been homeless when this hit, we wouldn't have to be dealing with that now. We would have dealt with that before. So um, there's nothing like something like this that shows the injustice that already exists. And so we need to, I hope we learn that and come out of this and say, you know, we need to have more justice so that if this next calamity happens to us, we've got all that stuff already figured out. We don't have to be doing that in the midst of trying to figure out how to get through whatever the next thing might be. yeah. So I think we'll be important in having that discussion. And I think we're going to be important in, uh, and I could be wrong about this, but I've, I really think we could be an important force faith in general, not just Christianity, but faith in general could be an important, Force when we come out of this, when all the blame really does start flying. In other words, we could be uh, the mode of reconciliation or uh, at least offering reconciliation and paths for reconciliation in ways that are going to really be, could be really difficult. I mean, we think we're divided now. We were divided before we went into this. It doesn't look like this is going to put us together. If anything, it may divide us more. And then when the rocks start flying, when we're well enough to be able to do that, um, I think that's where the church may really have to try to be the centering gel (laughs) for whatever the world is going to become after we come out of this. So I'm keeping my eye on that, too.
0: Yeah, there's going to be a long, long road ahead. And Good yeah. things to do on that road, certainly, but that's the responsibility of a church.
1: Yeah, and a lot of grief. I mean, yeah. uh, we have a lot of funerals on hold right now. Uh-huh. So, you know, one of the things for us is going to be, I think, depending on how long this goes on, is is that's going to be a depressing moment um, for a lot of our clergy and our congregations, because we're going to just have a slew of funerals when this comes up you know when we finally can do it Uh, because people we've had to tell people and families we can't do those right now so we're just holding on to ashes and bodies and waiting until that time can come
0: oh that's rough that's really rough you've been bishop for 13 years as you've said how has that job changed you how has it challenged you
1: oh uh, well there's almost not a Uh, category we could come up with where it hasn't changed me, uh, I think. And, you know, I would say the vast majority of them, for me anyway, are good. Uh, I think uh, probably 13 years of this has made me a little more isolated um, in the sense that, you know, I used to laugh when people would use that line, oh, it's lonely at the top. Uh, you know, it's such a trite thing, but you know, there is some truth in it. You know, it's kind of like um, uh, you're the last person some people will want to talk to about something. Uh, they uh, want to look good for you, but not tell you the truth. I mean, there's a lot of that that goes on, and it's uh, that's been interesting to watch. But I was, you know, I was a manager before this and uh hospital administrator, so I knew some of that. Um, but I think the way that it's changed me uh, as a spiritual person is the uh just the incredible riches and depths of our people, no matter where they are. Um, and and just the great faith of people, you know, if they're in Tahuya or Bellingham or Vancouver, or uh, you know, it doesn't matter where they are, it doesn't matter where they came from, what their backgrounds are, they have this, um tremendous uh, faith, and I've had the privilege that many people don't ever get who are ordained by being a bishop to travel around and see, you know, 90-plus congregations in all different places and realize these are Episcopalians. It doesn't matter where they are or how they were raised. They are Episcopalians, and so this particular... Uh, view on Christianity is the path they've chosen so uh, you know it's that it's that feeling of uh, more of a feeling I think of being a family being a commu- a real community mm. that I think is an abstract notion uh, for a lot of people to sit in the pew they know this in intuitively or intellectually yeah. that there's other churches out there there are Episcopal churches there's an Anglican communion all of that they get but they just don't get to see it uh, incarnated like I do. And uh, I think I think that's one thing I'm supposed to see. It's one thing I'm supposed to take in. And it's one thing as a Bishop, you're supposed to try to also reveal and show and carry for other people, which I constantly uh, try to do. So, you know, I had this pet peeve about calling it the National Church. Uh, which everybody does because it's not a national church. You know, we have, it's an international church. And so we write off all the uh, countries and dioceses that are not part of this nation. Every time we say that, uh, I don't like when people say, Oh, if the diocese would just do this, you know, <laughs> well, we are all the diocese. It, what they're really saying is I wish the office of Bishop would <laughs> do this or the Bishop would do this. That's really what they're saying. And I just, <laughs> am trying to get them to say it so, you know, that we can, Uh, really talk about the reality that we're much bigger uh, and we're much more connected to a family that's worldwide. Uh, So anyway, that, that really has uh, probably fallen on me more than ever. I think uh, it's changed me in the sense that I used to think uh, airline travel was glamorous. Uh, It's lost. It's, it's lost all glamor for me. You know, uh, I, I just, I just, um, one of the great blessings about this moment that we're living through is I haven't had to go to the airport. I've just been so excited about that. Um, and you know, it's interesting. I bet if this goes on for a while, I'll miss it too. You You know, I'll be glad when I get to go somewhere again, but, but really, um, it changed me in the sense of, I like to travel, but, um, but I also like to stay, <laughs> and it's, and that part's been very different.
0: It's nice being home sometimes.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
0: On a similar note, how has the diocese changed in your time here?
1: I think it's changed remarkably, uh, and you know, much of that doesn't have anything to do with me. But I, I would say that uh, some of the direction uh, that our governing bodies. Who, who have just done a, such a great job the whole 13 years. I've been blessed with people in this diocese who don't get paid, who come to be on all these councils and they just give it everything. And, uh, and if we could, you know, from the early on, we had a very focused mission. They stayed on that. And so I would say that's how it's changed. We're, we're very focused. We're clear about what we can do well. Um, we know we still are a learning organization and we still have to grow. But we're clearly much more financially sound. It'll be interesting to see what, where this takes us. But, but because of all of that 13 years of work, we have a rainy day fund of probably around 800,000 that we can spend without really changing anything to help people through this crisis, to help our congregations. We were saving that up for the big earthquake, Uh, (laughs) but this happened instead, you know, and, uh, but it's there because of the great generosity of our congregations, the, the good work of, you know, yes, our churches are not, Full, or some of them aren't full but they, there are growing churches in our diocese and if, if anything in that 13 years what we have done is we have really we talk about in this time flattening the curve uh, I'd say flattening the, the curve on the other side uh, for the church is trying to get the decline to stop or not be so precipitous and we have definitely uh, done some of that in those 13 years here as well so, uh, it's very different. Uh, you know, you can point to numbers, but I think just in culture, the diocese is different. It's, it's very connected. I think there's a high level of trust within it, you know, that not everything goes perfectly, but people trust the inclinations of all the people that work in it enough that we can get through the conflicts when they come up. Um, we you know the assessment is a lot lower it was twenty percent when I got here it's fourteen and a half percent now, so that that leaves a lot more for the local, which has been a focus of ours and so you know it's very healthy, I would say both spiritually and uh, financially um, and it'll be interesting these days to see how we weather this and come out on the other side but um, before this we had had um when I got here the endowments uh the diocesan investment fund was at about uh thirty eight million. And just before this crash we were up to about ninety-four million. And uh so in that thirteen years and that's that's a collection of funds from all over the diocese from congregations and it's not just diocesan funds, it's of course. but we hold it together. So Almost we were just about getting to a hundred million uh in that fund, which that's a sign of health too. It means that people congregations are um, planning for their future and uh, also saving for their future so some really good things
0: that's a really good foundation for community life and parochial life that even in a best case scenario, things were moving forward there was good investment and In a worst-case scenario, like in some ways how we're seeing now, we have something good to fall back on, financially, certainly, Mm -hmm. but then also Mm -hmm. uh, communally as well.
1: Yes, I agree.
0: You talked about one of your favorite experiences as a bishop being that you can go to an Episcopal church anywhere in this region, all the way up from Bellingham to Vancouver, and still feel part of that Episcopal community, that we're all doing this as one body, one family of Christ. Do you have any memories of that where you really felt that moment stand out to you? Uh,
1: well, I have many. Uh, what I like is making the connections. Uh, I walked into a church. You know, what, <laughs> one thing I'm kind of bad at, which people have figured out, is I don't remember names well but I remember faces and I can tell you where I met you. I can usually tell you when, uh, and, but sometimes I won't know your name, but I'll, I'll be able to tell you, I met you at so-and-so place. And some of those times have been so fun because I'll show up somewhere and I'll actually say to somebody, Hey, you don't belong here. (laughs) And they'll they'll go, what do you (laughs) mean? I said, I would, no, where I see you all the time is at that church. Why are you here? You know, and they'll say, oh, well, I moved here or my my sister lives here and I'm here. And that's always so, uh, it's all, almost always intriguing because people will say, it's great that you remember that, you know, that you know who, where, where we met. There was this little uh, uh, three women who played in this, they played different instruments but I, uh early on i i would see them in different places uh different churches and the first place i ever saw them was in kingston so i started calling the kingston trio <laughs> so i would walk, i would walk in and i would say hey and we even have the kingston trio here today uh so it's i think it's little things like that where we 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 might be standing in tahoia for instance but those people will be we can relate to things that are way outside there because we've been together in different places and um, so i think that that's marvelous and i think the other thing is when this really comes to the fore moments like this um also when in derrington when the, uh, the ozo mudslide happened yeah another example i mean we were all connected in that moment uh, that church in Darrington is the one. Is probably the tiniest structure we have as a church in this diocese. I, I don't think there's a tinier structure. Uh, you know, there's like four pews. They're, they're really small. It's a little tiny place. Um, Janet Lloyd is the priest there, very uh, uh, just dedicated and wonderful. And she just told me, you know, uh, the thing that we're not going to be able to pay for here are funerals. And receptions at the funerals. And um, can we do something about that? And I put out word to the diocese. And in a matter of 48 hours, she had about $65,000 to do that with. And that's the beauty, I think, of being connected and being uh, able to communicate. And, uh, you know, so everybody was able to be part of helping that little place be the church mm. in that moment. And uh, they're just stories like that over and over again, individual stories, some I can't tell, that just show how connected we really, really are. Even if we don't know who the people are, if we've never been to those places, we're still part of that church.
0: And that's a wonderful. That's a wonderful way to touch the final question I have and before i get to that i i really do want to thank you bishop rickle for taking the time during holy week during this doing this crisis to to go so deeply into what it still means to be a person of faith at this time when there are so many challenges when there are so many conflicting emotions but to do this particular walk to the cross as we do every every lent season every easter season when some of us physically cannot leave our homes, but to still remind us that God is with us there. And that the the limitations are never going to stop God from reaching out to us and for being with us, even in our fear, not dismissing that fear, not pushing it out of the way, but to say we're scared for good reason. And Mm -hmm. we can still trust that to God. And so if you want people to meditate on one thing, during this Easter season, an Easter season unlike most of us have ever experienced, what do you think the one thing would be?
1: Uh, I think I would ask people to meditate on um, the world beyond your world. And uh, so, you know, uh, one thing, interesting thing is I'm the chair of the American Friends for the Episcopal Diocese of Jerusalem. We've had a companion relationship with them this diocese has for 25 years at least and you know we think we have it bad going through things like this think about the people in palestine in the west bank and gaza uh, and you know they they really have it bad they don't have the infrastructure they don't have you know any of the things that we're all uh upset about there and yet they're they're there they're uh christians muslims and jews they're all trying uh just like we are and so i think i would meditate on uh especially uh coming through this where we're all isolated in our homes we're kind of on lockdown we're all uh, sheltering in place whatever you want to call it um is to when you close your eyes and meditate during Easter this year it's to try to get focused on something else outside of yourself so and really i would focus on somebody um you know uh for a while and i'm still doing this to a degree but uh for a while i i was saying to folks try to get a healthcare worker in your mind and um uh, and, you know, pray about that person, you know, reflect on that person. Think about what their daily life is like, what they might be doing while you're praying for them, who they might be helping. It's, it, I, I think that's the thing is get outside of yourself. Don't go, you know, Lent was to go inside. Hmm. And hopefully you got to go inside. And literally we all had to go inside. So, I mean, you know, I don't know how much more we could have helped you with that, but now Easter, we may still be inside, but I think now it's time for us to reflect out and to meditate on, um, you know, people that are beyond what we can see and, uh, and try to re- rem- remember that whatever we're feeling now, millions of others are too. And, We, we need to be connected to them. You know, if we've learned anything through this, it's, it's that we, there are times we have to be together, uh, in order to solve a problem. And we had to be together in this to be a part in order to try to solve this problem. I think the same, uh, kind of reflection, same kind of meditation would be a good thing to do. Uh, because it's easy when we're, uh, you know, kind of sent back to our homes to become very insular and uh, even more um, segregated. And so I think Easter calls us to kind of come out of that and try to focus out now. And that's going to be harder if we can't go out, but it can still be done. And and uh, so that's what I, I think that's what I meditate on this Easter for sure.
0: Bishop Brickle, thank you so much for sharing your time, your thoughts, your day with us. There are many people, I think, who are going to listen to this who who are scared, nervous, and they, they kind of want to know what what do the next steps look like. And as we move into Easter, just a few days away from this, I think you've given us a really good idea of what we can do to still be to still be active in our spiritual lives, to still put all these practices from the last 40 days to good use where we don't simply stop when it comes to Easter, but we continue this, keeping everybody safe, doing the right things, but making sure that everything we've experienced and thought and felt has value and meaning. And not just for us, but for the world around us, which really does need all those things right now.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. We've got to figure out how to be the people we are, even in this moment where we can't do it as we usually do it. And uh, so I think we're going to still be learning that and uh, we've still got to reveal ourselves to the world. And I think we can, I think, I think uh, I have no doubts about that. Thank you, Michael. Take care. Blessings. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Our music was performed by Michael Kleinschmidt on the Flintrop organ at St. Mark's. Michael Pereira and Andrew Himes produced the podcast, and we hope you'll visit stmarks.org. So long.